Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is November the 5th, 2012, and it's Monday Glum Day. And we actually have a pretty glum topic, but some positive things to talk about with it. I'm doing listener feedback like always. These are all emails that came in, but I'm pretty much dedicating today's show 100% to the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy and actual feedback from the audience. I didn't ask for it. It came in on its own. There's plenty to round out an hour, hour and a half show. So we're going to focus mostly on that along with some articles that were sent in. I'm going to give you my thoughts on it. And uh, we're going to hear how some members of this audience are rating ground zero and are doing just fine. And I want to talk about the contrast of the way the media a little bit today is handling Sandy and the way people are talking about Sandy and the way that there's an expectation of government help with Sandy that You know how that contrasts with things like Birmingham, Alabama, Joplin, Missouri, and and you know uh, Hurricane Ike, and, and kind of the difference there, and some really stupid things that have been said in the media. By the way, we'll get to that in a moment. Before we do, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by supporting the show and helping us be here for you five days a week, Monday through Friday. Sponsor of the day number one today, ready-made resources. There's not much more than you can ask for from a company than for their name to be what they do, and then they do it. That's what ready-made is. All the resources you need for your prepping, ready-made, ready to go, point, click, buy, and uh, they'll ship it to your house with great pricing and great service. And when I say all the resources, I mean tactical, got it, practical, got it, long-term food storage, got it, alternative energy, Got it. 12-volt appliances to go with the alternative energy uh, projects. Got it. Gardening. Got it. You, you see what I mean? Food preparation. Got it. Whatever you can think of. They're like the uh, the complete mall of, of resources for your preparedness. Check them out today at readymaderesources.com. Next up today, bulkammo.com. You know what you got when you have a gun and there's no ammo for it? A really expensive club or maybe something you can take to the pawn shop and, and, and pawn for some money. But that's about it. It's not really a firearm without the ammunition. Uh, and what does that mean? It means you need to have ammo. And I get the question all the time, Jack, how much ammo is enough? If ever I do an interview and guns comes up, it's always, well, how much ammo should we store? And I say, well, that's really up to you. But I'll tell you this, it's more in a box. And uh, there's a lot of people out there with you know, a, a gun and a box of ammo. That's not going to work. It's not going to last if you ever really need to rely on it. But the big thing is you're not going to be able to train with that gun. It's not enough ammo to train with, and you need to train with your weapon, not just have it. Uh, a gun with an untrained operator is almost as useless as an unloaded gun. So you need ammo. You need to not overpay for it. You need to get it in large quantities so you can do that. Where are you going to do it? BulkAmmo.com. Lightning fast shipping, great service, great price. Check them out today. BulkAmmo.com. Next up, remember, you can check out TSPCopper.com for some really cool copper medallions. Again, TSPCopper.com. Check them out today. And uh, it's actually our site. We run that with uh, AOCS, uh, you know, American Open Currency Standard. And they do all the order fulfillment. That's my site. You're doing business with me if you go there and buy those pretty copper medallions that are good for barter and good for uh, spreading messages of liberty and independence. Lots of cool designs there. Check them out today. Again, tspcopper.com. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. 
If you do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to members, and you'll be helping to support this show at about 18.3 cents an episode. And guys, uh, you know, remember, if you're military, a law enforcement, Peace Corps, or a first responder, like let's say a paramedic, if you're out there putting your ass on the line to help your fellow Americans, and frankly, anywhere in the world you're doing that, I will give you a special discount on membership. Thank you for your service. Email me before, not after you join. Put service discount in the subject line, and I will square you away with that special discount code and how to use it with whatever method of payment you want to do. All right, with that knocked out, I have a couple announcements. Number one, uh, as we speak, I'm uploading some videos that I shot this weekend on the PowerPot. Um, the PowerPot is a really cool device. It's not going to make Star Trek out of your campfire or anything like that and you know run your house out of your campfire, but... It is great for charging USB-enabled devices. I'm hoping that video will be live by tomorrow. Um, it's I shot it in like five-minute segments, and I never knew you could just link together YouTube videos and do all your editing on YouTube. I'm going to try that option because otherwise I end up with these huge videos. And what happens is I, I, I have videos that I've uploaded multiple times to YouTube for you guys, and somewhere along the way YouTube just gives up and says, you're taking too long, dude, goodbye, which sucks. I got great cable internet. So I guess it's just because I'm shooting in HD and some of them are 20, 25 minutes long. I don't know what the problem is, but uh, hopefully we'll get around that, and hopefully we'll have that up for you tomorrow. Revolution 2.0 video. I've made a decision. I've been kicking it around. I've been trying to figure out how to get more pictures in the video. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come up with some commentary. This is why it's taken longer than planned, that it didn't get released right with episode 1000, along with servers crashing and wives not being home and all types of other things that went on during that period of time. Uh, but I'm going to try to release that uh, the week of Thanksgiving now. I'm going to try to come up with commentary that's just about the same length as the song itself as an introduction with me speaking. But unlike the first version where I was standing in my garden, while I'm speaking, pictures will run. This will let me run about uh, 100% more pictures. Uh, because I've got a narrowed down folder that's twice the size of what I can fit, giving each picture a three-second uh, exposure. Uh, it's, and it's twice as long as what I can do. And if I put that commentary into it, I can make the video longer, and I can make it work better, and I can get more of your photographs, your pictures, and your stuff in and represent more of the audience. So I've been basically killing myself trying to figure out, Jack, how the hell do you cut out half of these great pictures? How the hell do you do this to people? And, and still, like, you know, th that's really maybe. 20% of the total pictures that were submitted, and there's a lot that I feel bad about, but, you know, I can't have the video run, you know, 30 minutes in just rerunning the song. So I kind of picked what I thought were the best of the best, and uh, I think I can fit almost all of them in if I do it this way, and that gives you guys greater representation. So that's why there's been a delay. I've been asked a lot, and I've been just trying to figure out how to do a better job for you. Next up, the 13 and 13 Challenge. Um, I'm going to be talking to the guy designing the website for us today. I don't want to tell you guys the domain name for the site yet, um, but I would tell you that it's probably 80 to 90% completed, and that should be out this week, and we'll be soft launching in 2013 and moving forward. I also want to tell you something else. If you're in this audience and you are a company owner and you have been waiting to get advertising on the survivalpodcast.com, There's not much coming for a long time. I will be selling advertising at this new site. It will be very affordable. 
It will be $65 a month. This site will get promoted like crazy on TSP. Uh, a huge portion of the audience will be using it and using it frequently. If you are an advertise, if you want to advertise on 13skills.com and you're not already a TSP sponsor, I'm going to give you first crack before I let the existing sponsors have more space on a site within our network. So if you're interested in that, put thir uh, 13 and 13 ad in your subject line and email me, and I'll start running a list that way. And uh, that way maybe I can open up the door to some people that are smaller companies that can't afford advertising on the main site and uh, give you guys some really positive exposure to the audience. Okay, with that, let's go ahead and get into uh, the main topic of today's show. And uh, it's, you know, all about Sandy. And I want to talk to you guys about what's going on up there with, with real people. And here, let me read you the first one. This is from Deborah. Deborah says, Jack, just checking in after the storm. We made out well with our generator. We also purchased an inventory. I'm sorry. We also purchased an inverter recently, as mentioned by Stephen Harris, as a backup on alternative voltage uh, or, or alternative usage. Got my cousin in West Virginia to get an inverter too, which is good because she lost power yesterday. We were the only people on the block with power for more than 24 hours. I actually used the time at home since I stayed home with my son due to no school to can 14 quarts of chicken, 7 quarts of turkey soup, and 6 quarts of turkey stock. We had almost the whole house running. We weren't just surviving, we were thriving. You know, I love hearing things like that. And there's more stories like that today. But... I want to point out what really, for a lot of people in the Northeast anyway, made the difference for them is simply having backup power. I mean, if you look at the majority of the problems that people are having there, and this is where I'm contrasting this with Joplin, Missouri, uh, Birmingham, Alabama, some of the other tornadoes that didn't get any press whatsoever but happened like in north northwestern Arkansas, Uh, there are towns, little towns, of a couple hundred people in northwestern Arkansas that from the 2011 tornado outbreak, the towns are gone. They're gone. There is no town. They're not rebuilding. This is not like uh, Greensburg or Greensville, Kansas, whatever it was, where they're rebuilding it green, you know, because it sounded cool and they got a reality show out of it. No, it, it's not like that. The towns were small enough that when they were wiped out, the people of the town looked at it and went, it's just easier to take the insurance money and move you know, two towns over or whatever. And there can be disasters of that severity. And when they happen, you know, a generator doesn't do you good if it's gone, right? If it's blown away. But if you have a basement and it's down in there, maybe there's still something that can be done, you know, maybe something that can be, you know, salvaged out of it. But for those people, a lot of those people, it's gone. I drove through Birmingham. Just a couple months after that town got hit. And it looked like, if you remember the movie, the made-for-TV movie that scared the crap out of all of us when we were kids, uh, the day after, remember that? Um, that's what it immediately made me think of. We, we were driving through and we hit the one part of the town where you could see the path of the tornado. It was about, in, in my estimation, close to a mile wide. And you could see off into the distance in two directions. You could see right where across the street they put up all the electrical wires and all had been replaced, but pretty much everything was still flat in both directions. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. And I stopped the truck and we got out and I stood there. 
And, and I looked at that, and I realized how bad things can really be for people. Well, the other side of that, though, is that's not what's typical. In fact, if you look at what happened with Joplin and Birmingham, etc., and this in no way detracts from the people that got the, the, the brunt of the wrath, the people that were killed, injured, or lost everything. But there were more people that were outside of that ground zero that went a long time without power and, and you know fuel shortages. But what I've seen, and I'm not saying this isn't happening in the Northeast, because we'll get to where some of the things that are happening in the Northeast. But what we saw in these towns throughout the South was all the people that were even inconvenienced but weren't really hurt and were going to be okay long term, go in and help. Instead of people sitting around going, where's FEMA? But for a lot of those people that went in to help, they had a really hard time of it too, even though they were trying to help, because there were fuel shortages, because there was no power for a long time. If you cut a town in half, which is what happened to Joplin, the tornado literally cut Joplin in half. It's not a, a stretch in any way to say that. It was like a giant chainsaw that just went through and sawed the town in half and left a curve a mile wide. If you were, you know, a mile or two outside of the ground zero, you, you weren't getting power for a while. I mean, you're talking major grid disruption. And what you'll find is a common thing, and I want you to listen for as a common thing in most of these, for these people that were up in the Northeast, there were anywhere other than, you know, the few places where houses were literally ripped off of their foundations and, and carried away. And there, some people lost that much. But in most of the areas hit, the big thing is disruption in food, Disruption in water, disruption in electricity, and the people that have power backup fared fairly well compared to their neighbors. And they were able to help as well. Let's, let's look at another one. Here's a much longer one with more um, uh, information in it. This is from Bloody Rich. Uh, hi, hey Jack, I just wanted to let you know about my experience with the storm here in New York. Because of you and your show and the community, I did not fear its approach. I did not panic. Sunday morning when I went out, I thought, well, maybe I'll even get more wa water or canned goods because I was bored. When I saw the line down the block to get into the supermarket, I laughed. I knew I had plenty of food, water, gas, and supplies. So I went and filled up the growlers of beer at the beer store that had no line at all. That's interesting, because I bet beer's a good barter implement up there right now. We were having a dinner party Sunday night for a French couple visiting who were staying at my house. Some guests had to cancel because public transportation system was closing at 7 p.m. During the party, I realized I had not tested my generator in a couple months. My, friend, my guests and friends all know we prep to some level, but laughed when they saw I wasn't kidding and really had to test my generator. At first, I couldn't get it to start up. The gas is almost a year old, and even with stabilizer, I think it's getting old. But it finally turned over and ran a few minutes. I told my guests we were moving on to stay at another friend's house, and then when the power goes out, they'll return. Well, although my power stayed on, the first place they, they stayed at uh, did lose power. In the middle of the storm, I received a text from them, could I row across the East River with the generator? And they did return the next day, walking across the Williamsburg Bridge. After the storm, since we were fine, we knew our next responsibility as preppers was to help those less fortunate. Besides the French couple, the people whose house they had been out, uh, lost power, came over for a warm shower, and to charge their phones. 
Other friends came by to charge phones as well. I emailed and texted everyone I knew in the area without power to come by. Our responsibility was to casually and gently explain how they too should be prepared for situations such as this. I think we showed by example what a prepper really is. It isn't easy here in Brooklyn, where people think the stove is a great place to store sweaters. And I talked to a couple and another Frenchman about libertarianism. The French, being very socialist, were not really understanding at first, but showing how I was helping people and not waiting for the government to help them, and how I prepared and didn't wait for the government to take care of me, I felt I did a great job, and they understood planting seeds. We also learned some weaknesses in our prep, such as uh, aging gas, only one generator, etc. We will be improving soon. I already see many uh, generators on sale on Craigslist, all saying purchased one week ago and not used. <laughs> and we have power, so we're selling it. Uh, I can't convince people how silly that is, but I hope to get a deal this way. Thanks for all you do. You have helped make our life more interesting, and we are living free. We are we are we we live feeling more secure. And I can't thank you enough, Richard. So, bloody rich, cool man. And see, that's the thing I've been talking about. Um, you know, helping people, not just like going, "Aha, look, we're okay, we're fine." And I think what you'll find is that most of the people that are writing in that are okay are helping somebody else. Before I go on to another email, I want to talk about something I saw going on in the media that really bugs me, and you would think it wouldn't if you don't really think deeper about the implications of it. Um, I put up a picture somebody sent me of uh, some people that had power. They just took a few power strips and extension cords and put them outside of their, their stoop uh, in New York City and put up a sign that says, We have power. Please feel free to charge your phones. So people walking by on the street that are from other places, you know, they can just come up, grab some power, and power up that cell phone, which is like a huge thing. And we'll talk about that a bit more today as well, how important those devices being operational as long as the networks are up are when everything else is out for communication and things like that. Well, I put it up on Facebook, and I said, this is the stuff the media doesn't tell you about. And people are like, yeah, it's all over the media, Jack. And I guess I don't pay attention to the news as much as I should. And so the gun, they had it on my news that night. They were showing people doing not the exact same picture, but doing the exact same thing. And I thought, well, this is great. I'm glad to see that they're doing this. But then they had to do it. They had to do what they always do at the end of the segment, which was maybe a minute and a half long. Regular people becoming everyday heroes. You know what? You're not a freaking hero because you put a freaking power strip outside of your house. I mean, I wanted to reach through the screen, grab the little blonde chippy by the neck, and smack her a good one. You're not a hero. You're a nice person doing a decent moral thing that everybody should do. With that in mind, I'd like to read some of you. I have a book I've been working on for years that's like not done yet. And God knows if I'll ever get it done. But I want to read a little piece of one of the first chapters to you to go along with why I snap out when I hear becoming regular or everyday people becoming everyday heroes or whatever crap they come up with. You're a hero because you ran an extension cord and put out a freaking power strip. Listen to this. You must at this point begin to understand respect and call on your own power. For far too long, men and women have become complacent and dependent on government, corporations, and authority to protect, provide for, and defend us. 
The reality is the government is supposed to defend our opportunities and our rights, not our ability to do as little as possible and still survive. Neither government nor corporations are to provide for us. They are both supposed to serve us in two distinctively different ways. Due to this dependence, the American people and frankly most people in developed nations around the globe have forgotten and lost touch with the power they carry in their hearts, souls, and minds. Every once in a while we see it when people are left with no other choice. A 225-pound man tries to abduct a child, and instead of dialing 911, a frantic 115-pound mother beats the man to near death while we all wish she had finished the job. Two men are lost in the woods. One is seriously injured, and the other, defying all odds, gets his buddy to safety. Or a community rallies around a family and raises money to make sure they can keep a fourth-generation farm. In reality, it happens every day, but we see it as extraordinary and instead of simply expected. You have probably heard a version of each of these stories in the news. People listen to the media spin and think, wow, that's an amazing story. But are they really amazing? Think about it this way. Your child is in danger. Would you not fight a bear, let alone a man, to save them? Your buddy's in danger of death. Would you not work to your last breath to get him to safety? A family you know that has been in your community for four generations is in trouble. Would you really sit around and do nothing to help? When the media sensationalizes these stories, rather than simply reporting them as the daily news, they rob us of our true power. They send a message that to do what is right, expected and normal, is extraordinary. These types of stories are not amazing stories of survival. They are often, as they are often portrayed. They are interesting, they are newsworthy, and I sure prefer them, prefer them to the constant negative news we get shoved in our faces. Yet all they really are is people doing what comes naturally to them when they are in a situation that requires action and there is no one to take it but them. These stories are simple stories of Americans being Americans, and to be fair to the rest of the world, whom we often forget in our nationalistic arrogance, they are simply stories of humans being human. There is no mother that loves her child that would hesitate for a second to fight a man twice her size to stop the abduction of said child. The simple fact that winning this fight is more important to her than the scumbag committing the crime is why she will win nine out of ten times. That is not an American ideal. It is a universal human fact. Try taking a child off a tribeswoman in Angola if you doubt me, but expect to end up in a shallow desert grave if you do. There are two extremely important things to take away from this. One, we have more power than we have been led to believe. It was not government or authority or corporate benevolence that made a difference in the above three scenarios. It was individual or community action. Two, the ability to act, the willingness to act, and the propensity to survive are innate human characteristics that are intrinsic to the human soul. From tribesmen to accountant, from farmer to stockbroker, once we get past the exterior paint, the capacity and power inside are universal. This is why you should not live in fear but act in power. As a human, you are not only gifted with the ability to recognize, react to, and overcome threats. Any animal with the tiniest semblance of a brain can do that. A mouse avoids the cat. The minnow hides from the bass. Even the microbe eludes another microbe. What you can do the animal kingdom cannot is to think ahead Develop rational planning, both active and contingent, to avoid, deal with, and overcome the worst possible events. No other creature that we know of can do this. No matter how advanced, nothing other than a human can sit down and think ahead about multiple scenarios, devise a plan based on the commonalities of those threats, to take decisive preemptive action, 
devise an action plan for each scenario that might occur, and then know they had done all that is possible under the circumstances to improve their position. When you read that simple five-point list, you are reading the most simplified formula for survival that could have ever been developed. Further, by the very nature of being a human, you are the only known life form of the millions that exist capable of doing these things or even understand them. understanding them. That is your power. It is not unique to me or to you or to the tough survivalist. This power beats in the computer programmer's heart and is integral to the store clerk's soul as well. Okay, I'm going to stop reading there, but... Do you see why I'm pissed off about somebody being called a freaking hero for handing out some power with a power strip and an extension cord? Look, I think these people are great for doing what they're doing. Um, I, I think it's wonderful that they're doing what they're doing. I think that uh, it certainly should be reported. People should know. But do you know why they have to make it? Why they have to make it? They're everyday heroes. Because they're assholes, that's why. I mean, that's the only thing I can tell you to, to, in reality. And the reason that they behave this way is because they don't want people just getting up and doing this to be what's expected. Because that mitigates the need for government and for relief organizations. Hugely. You know, what if... Every person that is in walking distance from where people need help that doesn't need help went and just helped one person. How much better could the situation be? And do you know what it takes to do that? A, a world of preppers would create that, but it's not, you know, most people that are okay are just outside of where the lights went out right now anyway. What it takes is an expectation that that's normal behavior, that it's expected behavior. That, that's all that it takes, that helping your fellow man is the decent thing to do, and if you don't do it, well, you're not being decent. You know, and I understand some people can only help so much, but I bet you, I bet you there's no person that's at least where they have good footing for themselves. I bet there's not one of those people that couldn't do at least one small random act of kindness to help other people. And they're not heroes for doing it. They would be good citizens of their republic, looking out for the other citizens of the republic, standing up, and being sentinels. We need some sentinels right now. And in the future, with these other disasters, we need sentinels on the ground. And the best people to do it are not the people that drive across the country to do it, and God bless them for it. But the best sentinels in New York should be New Yorkers. The best sentinels in New Jersey should be from New Jersey. The best sentinels in Florida should be from Florida. The best sentinels in Houston should be from Houston. And then from Texas. And then maybe Louisiana. We're going to look after our own better if we actually care enough to do so. Let me go back to another email. Uh, this one comes from Jack. Jack says, uh, Jack, you don't know me, although um, you and I have traded emails a few times over the past couple of years. Conversely and hypothetically, I know you, you're, you through your podcast. I started listening to your podcast in 2009 after I had a dramatic change in my life. I listened almost daily, listening to two or three podcasts a day, catching up on older ones while I was driving into prepping for a world would-be disaster. Whether it was the job loss or something that could be worse, that said, I also, being a kid from the sticks in PA, prepping wasn't a stretch for me. Much of what I knew about the outdoors was applicable to prepping, which made, almost made it almost natural in the beginning. Today in 2012, living in New Jersey, post-Hurricane Sandy, I just spent several days without water, heat, and power. 
like many affected by Sandy. I am in northern New Jersey, just outside of New York City, in East Rutherford, right near Giant Stadium. I was outside the core landfall of the hurricane. It was not affected like those on the New Jersey shore, Long Island or Staten Island. Northern New Jersey is not the perfect place to be a prepper, but it was where it is where I live, uh, nonetheless primarily for work. There are many preppers here, all with different varying skill levels, as you can imagine. Some are more prepared than others, but all with the same goal, to be self-sufficient and independent of help in an emergency situation, keeping their family and friends safe from the dangers that might lurk around the corner, whether natural or man-made. My point, I wanted to drop you a note and say thank you. Thank you for your hard work, effort, and passion, and will to educate those who may at one point in their life look for a better way, a way to make their lives more efficient and enduring, in part because of you and uh, of you, my and other decisions to learn, collect some of the right gear, food, water, uh, learn how to use it, help me get through this natural disaster with relevant ease. I wish I could say the same for those that were devastatingly hurt by Sandy. However, as my power was restored and things relatively start uh, to to out to slowly normalize. I was reflecting on the who, how, and why uh, I was not so bothered by the storm and the situation I was in. You're a component of the relative puzzle that made life easier. For that, again, I say thank you and look forward to your continued podcast. Attached are some images friends and readers of my blog have sent along to me and I have taken prior, during, and after Hurricane Sandy. Thanks. Best regards, Jack. Uh, I'm going to tell you the pictures that I got, some of these pictures, what I'm seeing uh, one is uh, military Humvee getting gas at a, at a, a gas station. Uh, another one is it looks to me like Trenton or Newark, based on my knowledge of the area, uh, with about two feet of water in the streets. Um, a line of people going back, uh, I would say, several hundred yards to get gas. And these are people holding gas cans, not in cars. These are standing in line. Um, <laughs> an area that is completely devastated, probably Brooklyn or uh, maybe Long Island or Staten Island, and a sign, a uh, hand-painted sign that says, F you, Mayor, and your marathon. Of course, the mayor of New York was going to go ahead and, and do the marathon this week, and they decided to cancel after, I guess, a little bit of uh, intelligence uh, won over. Picture of the boardwalk devastated. I'm sure you guys have seen pictures like this. A neighborhood devastated, yet the American flag uh, flying uh, over the foundation of a house that's now gone. Um, one neighbor consoling another neighbor while he's he's just in tears from the loss. That's what you want to see is people taking care of each other. Uh, the Staten Island ferry dock completely flooded out. Um, houses ripped off of their foundation in the next image. Uh, pretty devastating stuff. There's some more... I'll see if I can maybe upload these, a bunch of cabs underwater somewhere. Maybe I'll put them on my Flickr account for you. The storm raging on a pier so you guys can see them. That'll probably be later in the day. They may not be in the show notes when the show first publishes. But if you check back, I'll, I'll put them there. But it's, you know, it's good to hear that people are getting through this. And in this case, it doesn't sound like Jack had a whole bunch of alternative power at all. It was more of a mindset getting through it and not being right in ground zero. Um, Next one comes from, I'm going to call him Bart, because it's part of his email address and doesn't really say his name. So Bart uh, says, my town, Brick Township, New Jersey, 
has been devastated by Hurricane Sandy. In spite of that, our family's preparation and skills have allowed us to live very comfortably, accommodate family and friends, and allow my husband to work uh, tirelessly to provide security to our community. I am hopeful that we can survive this, and we have found sweet moments to enjoy. I'm also grateful to be able to help educate others about the importance of preparation. Thank you for being our partner in success. Uh, Fighting like we were trained in Brick, New Jersey. Oh, Rachel. Rachel is the, is the person's name. So, Rachel, that's awesome. Um, I guess that was a last name with Bart in it there. So, Rachel, good to hear. And it's good to hear not only are they working hard to help their neighbors and their family and friends, give them a place to stay, take a shower, whatever, because they're prepared when others are not, but the husband says, you know what, this is my community, and there will not be... Uh, looting or people getting taken advantage of in my community. I, if I have to do it, that's what I hear here. If I have to do it myself, if I have to work tirelessly to ensure security for my, my neighborhood, well, you know what? Damn it, I'm going to do it. And that's awesome. You know what happens when one person says, not here, not now, no chance ain't going to happen. Other people go, huh, I feel kind of crappy that I'm, and all of a sudden you got a posse. That's how these things get built. You know, when all the crap was going on during um, uh, Katrina in the Superdome, my thought was, where are the men? Where are the men that will stand up and say, no, you're not going to do this crap? You know, they're talking about people getting raped in there or whatever. And then you know what you found out? You know what you found out after all the media spin went away? That it's exactly what happened. People did stand up. People did look out after each other. People did take care of each other. But that is a story of heroism instead of people just being people. Please understand that as you're hearing all the media spin coming off of this. Um, next one comes from Karen. Karen says, I emailed you last year after we were hit by Irene. The septic coming into the house because I didn't have a gravity feed septic. The bottom floor of the house was a mess, etc. Well, that was so last year. Let me tell you about Sandy. This year, our drainage around the house was all new. You can say expensive. Backup generator was purchased, transfer switch placed, gas stocked, water stocked, batteries, flashlights, rain gear, etc. We even helped people with water, firewood, use of my extra small generator. Two is one, one is, one is none, right? Uh, and believe it or not, gas. It felt so dang good. Jack, even better this year. Our debt is down. <laughs> Holler. <laughs> it's in parentheses, right? Our debt is down. In all caps, it says down. And then holler, like, <laughs> from 37,000 to 17,000. These people did all this and paid 20 grand off of their debt. That is awesome. By the way, this year we had a new refrigerator. It couldn't be repaired. And a new washer and dryer. They were repaired three times already and getting worse. You have hardware jack, but it can be done. Here are the improvements we have planned for 2013. Chainsaw. I've got a tree in my pool. More firewood for next year. So I want new furniture. Ours is from the 70s. It was given to us, but it has to wait until my debt is gone. I promised myself not to join the TSP support brigade until my debt was gone, and I plan on joining in 2013. So you know what that means. I will be debt-free in 2013. I think they are good goals for now. Thanks, Jack and Dorothy, because behind every good man, there is a great woman. Well, thank you, Karen. Thank you, because there's, there could not be a better statement than that to tell you about how I'm able to do what I do. Behind every good man, there is a great woman, and I've got one. And it sounds like your husband and your family have one, too, and you. This is, uh, this is proud. That's what the, uh, the subject line of Karen's email says. It says, Jack, 
<laughs> you will be proud, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation Okay, you get it, right? Um, I think this is awesome. And I want to know where these stories are in the media. I want to know where the media is to show, look, here's the people that didn't sit around and wait for help, that went out and did it. Here's the people that were prepared in advance. No, you know what we got? You know what I saw on, it was on Fox News. There's some lady on. I can't tell who the hell this lady was. I didn't want to even look up her name. I don't ever want to see her again. But she was talking about how unprepared people in the Northeast were compared to California. Her final piece of advice was from now on, those in the Northeast should learn from this and emulate how prepared people are in California. California isn't prepared for jack diddly crap. Throwing two bottles of water in a bag in the trunk of your car is not preparation for an earthquake. Trust me, if they have a major disaster in California on the level of what you've seen here with Hurricane Sandy, you will see the exact same shit in the media, and somebody from some other place will say, they should be more like us. <laughs> no, the reality is everywhere that you go, from sea to shining sea, coast to coast, from the Midwest to the north and back, there are places where people are more prepared, but everywhere you go, there are people who are completely unprepared, and there are people that are greatly prepared, and the people that are heavily prepared are never what we're made out to be. See, I'm telling you the true story of what's happened in the Northeast today. I'm telling you the real story. I'm telling you the story that they'll either sensationalize and make individual heroism, or they just won't tell you at all. I'm telling you the truth about your country I'm telling you the truth about the citizens of your country. We are a good country with good people who really want to help each other. And the biggest problems we have right now are not the people. It's the people in charge. It's the people in our government. You know, that's something that you won't hear. But that's one thing if they don't want to say that. I'm okay with them not wanting to say that. If you're a liberal media drone, you don't want to say that. But when you hide... The reality of the, the, the basic, decent goodness. And the only way you can bring yourself to report it is to make it a big deal. That somebody ran an extension cord and plugged in a couple power strips. This is heroism in America today. My ass, this is heroism in America today. You know what? There's heroism out there. And when we take something so simple... It's just being decent and turn it into heroism. We do two things. We reduce decency because people think it's a big deal. And if it's a big deal, maybe I can't do it myself. And we cheapen and disrespect true heroes. Remember the cartoon movie, Incredibles? When everybody's super, nobody will be. That was a big statement to come out of a little cartoon movie. I wonder if the people producing it even realized what a big deal it was. I don't think they did. Might not have ended up there if they did. And I'm glad so many people are doing well, but this is a good wake-up for America. And it's a good wake-up for a lot of people to call themselves preppers and aren't really serious about what they're doing. And don't have enough preps in place. Let me read you an article. This was sent to me by Ken. And uh, it's on Grist, as in Grist Magazine. Um... Hurricane hunger, what happens when a city's food network breaks down? As New York City cleans up post-Sandy, and a huge thanks goes out to those who are doing the cleaning. How about that? How about that set of everybody bitching? How about thank you to those that are helping? And that's what I'd like to hear instead of just seeing a bunch of people angry and screaming and going, where's FEMA, where's the Red Cross? 
Um, the storm has revealed the city's topography and infrastructure, its former marshes, power networks, and rat population in ways that are easy to overlook when things are running smoothly. Of particular interest is edible, geog edible geographers were in were the insight the storm offered in, in a, a, of particular interest to edible geographers. What the hell is an edible geographer? Anyway, were the insights the storm offered in the city's food supply chain. As New Yorkers prepared for the storm, they all went grocery shopping at once, emptying the shelves of bread in Park Slope, of peanut butter at Trader Joe's, and of kale at the Fairway and Red Hook. Milk and bottled water were also popular, but not nearly as in demand as alcohol, with beer doing surprisingly well. So here we have a complete different report than we got from a listener. Interesting, right? According to the owner of Con Concord Market in downtown Brooklyn, as they sat at home and waited for the storm to hit on Monday, many New Yorkers dealt with their own cabin fever by ordering takeout and watching films. The New York Times reported that Netflix said it saw about a 20% more traffic than last week on its streaming video service, and many of the customers uh, are on the East Coast. While seamless and online food delivery service reported more orders and higher checks than usual. So people in New York, hunkering down for the storm, watched Netflix and ordered, ordered food delivered. This is, this is what they did. Okay. The immediate post-storm foodscape has varied widely based on neighborhood impact. For restaurants, warehouses, supermarkets, and factories that were flooded, the cleanup will be lengthy and expensive. For food service and storage facilities that lost power, thousands of dollars worth of food will be thrown away. I got an idea. Okay, if you have a food storage facility and your food is going to expire because it's not going to be kept cool, instead of throwing it away, pack it all up and give it to the hungry people on the other side of the freaking bridge. Just go, okay, this is going to be lost. Distribute it now. Go feed people with it. How about that? Well, there's no cars. We can scrape together a few trucks and cars, military vehicles, National Guard, whatever. Give the food to people. Put it out the street and go, you know what? We're going to have to throw this away in a couple hours. Come and get it while you can. See if anybody shows up. What, what a genius thing that would be. I'm sorry, guys. Some of this stuff just really, you know, it's such a simple solution. But no. Uh, however, restaurants and bars that were undamaged and able to open on Tuesday, the day after the storm, did a roaring trade. Smith Walensky Steakhouse reportedly sold every single piece of meat in its inventory before closing. Perhaps the most interesting reports came from the field of food distribution. In lower Manhattan, food trucks demonstrated the responsive advantage of mobile urban infrastructure as they made their way through congested, debris-strewn streets to sell gourmet grilled cheese, waffles, and coffee to residents of the blackout zone. So the food trucks were a primary way that food got into people. That's what that's saying there. Meanwhile, the supermarkets in the area that weren't hit by floods or electricity cuts reopened yesterday. Most still had noticeable gaps on their shelves. Eggs and salad greens were in short supply in the neighborhood, prompting the question of how quickly delivery trucks would be able to start making rounds again. Uh, you can grow your greens, and you can you can store eggs for a lot longer than the thing on the on the thing says. Or you can have chickens to grow eggs. Or there's powdered eggs. I'm just saying, folks. Right? There's a, there's an example of exactly what goes in short supply and something we can so easily uh, make up for. Despite today's just-in-time supply chain, which leaves the city with no more than two to three days of food on hand at normal consumption levels, the New York Post reported that widespread food shortages were unlikely. Instead, John Castamonitis, owner of local Grestard supermarket chain, told the Post, we are doing it hour by hour trying to get the trucks from our warehouses, but, that, but customers might notice a few things missing. Bread and milk, we might be running a day behind. 
Both warehouse power outages and large-scale road closures have caused disruptions to the entire region's food distribution networks. Earlier today, Ed Kunzenhand, uh, president of Perishable Distribution Solutions, a refrigerated fleet based in Chicago, told the Huffington Post, I've got thousands of trucks that are sitting on the East Coast. For our clients, it's almost entirely a question of whether or not they have power, and right now we're calling around everywhere in New York and New Jersey, and no one's open. So in other words, he's got the food that needs to stay refrigerated in trucks, sitting there refrigerated, waiting for a place to deliver it to, and the stores that he would deliver the refrigerated food to can't take delivery because the power's out. You, you see the problem that we have here as a society. You can only blame the government for so much. These are private businesses with no redundancy programs, plans whatsoever. For food service giant Cisco, the Huffington Post reported that dangerous road conditions, not power outages, were the biggest hindrance to deliveries in the tri-state area on Tuesday. Western growers whose members supply half of the nation's fresh fruit and vegetables reported they are anticipating a 7- to 10-day ripple effect of closed roads delays at receivers due to power outages, slowdown in loading capacity, higher rates due to limited capacity, and on. There's a little bit more in the article. You can read it. But you know what we're looking at here? Two to three weeks of food being disrupted. Okay, here we go. Jack says, please have a minimum, an absolute minimum of 30 days worth of food in your home at all times so that you can survive a minimum, and I prefer 90 days to six months, but a minimum of 30 days of food so you can make do. Now, it's not like there's no food available. So if there's some food available, you have 30 days, you can probably easily go 60 This this is this is exactly the case for basic preparedness. And no, the bimbo from for California that says Californians are prepared, that, that we're not talking about this. We're talking about some bottles of water and a flashlight. That's what she said. What a freaking idiot. Do you think that anybody in Staten Island right now that's in the middle of where it's really bad would have benefited that much by two bottles of water and a flashlight and a bag in the back of their car while their car floated down the street? You know, there are people that when a disaster like this hits, no matter how prepared they are, if where they live is destroyed and they don't have a fallback location, is that a case for a bug-out location without, you know, Armageddon, right? If they're in that situation, they don't have, they, they, there's nothing they can do. They've lost everything. You know, my wife pointed out when the Haitian earthquake hit, if you had all your storage inside one of those houses and it's flat on top of it, there's not much you can do. And it's true. But that's why we need more people prepared so more people can help. That's the whole point. Anyway, I'll put a link to uh, this article in today's show notes. But uh, that's that's some stuff that's going on. Let's go back to another um, article, or another letter from somebody that stood through this thing. Uh, this is from John. Um, John says, "Hi, Jack. I want to share some lessons learned during Hurricane Sandy from New York City. I have." Learned tons from your podcast and the TSP community and thought some of this might be useful to the great folks out there. As some of you have seen on the news, gas is very hard to find right now. It started to unravel for me Wednesday afternoon. Monday was the hurricane. Tuesday was quiet. And Wednesday, folks started to try to get back to work and find normalcy. Yes, folks wanted to get back to work. Even getting there was quite ridiculous. Most vehicles had to pick, uh, pick up folks along the way to get enough passengers and spent hours to get to the city, wasting half the day traveling one way. So for those that don't know, uh, they passed a, a, like a temporary law that said if you wanted to bring your vehicle into the city, there had to be three people in it. So they created huge lines in a thing that was supposed to reduce traffic because so many people had to be turned around 
because they did not have enough people uh, in their vehicle to get in. A co-worker of a relative was on the phone at 11.30 a.m. saying he was at the bridge on the Queens side outside Manhattan. He left early expecting traffic. That afternoon, Wednesday, we did a drive around part of our exit routes, and we saw a glimpse of how things be began to get worse as gas stations looked like a parking lot and some had lines out to the street. I gather any gas you had, you wasted in, in the traffic trying to get to work earlier that morning. Something guys out there need to keep in mind. This afternoon, Thursday, we drove by an empty gas station with signs saying no gas, spray painted, and some scraps of wood of plywood. That right there adds up since any gas you stored, you, you had spent in traffic uh, in Wednesday trying to get a normal day back to work. Next day, you were empty, and so were the stations. In this regard, I think we were lucky to have just done the prudent thing. Fill up the tank on Sunday. We were low on gas, but we had some stored at home, and now it seems it was way smarter than I thought. Goes to show when there's a smart procedure to do, best do it even if you feel you are already covered. During the storm itself, my family felt secure as I kept watch. We had a nice vacation, and I studied dehydrating by the oven. Kind of sucks. And kept a, a, a stream of comfort food coming for my two-year-old. Even drew up a fast food logo uh on uh, wax paper and made it look more appetizing. So the kid, they fed him a burger and made it a, 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 a thing so it looked like it was fast food. <laughs> food was a great source of comfort, not because we eat a lot or like it that much. It was one less stress we had to bother with. We kept busy maintaining the house, cleaning dishes, stu uh, studied baking bread, dehydrated, blogged, so all our pent-up energy was spent wisely instead of just being anxious. I hope my wife, who also felt the same relief in Hurricane Irene, will get on board more. Thursday morning, I went to Manhattan to see how things were. About a third or so of Manhattan had power, but my workplace is downtown, so I had to figure a way out. I took the bus as far as I could to get to the other side of the bridge and walked the rest of the way. It was about four miles, uh, but hurt a bit because of crossing the bridge. felt like a long stair climb. Downtown was out of power. Stores were closed. Some stores were open. Delis and coffee shops, but only small business ones. ATMs were out, of course. Traffic lights were out. There were a lot of soup kitchens open and good crowd forming outside at 10 a.m., so I suppose this crowd has thinned down already. There was not much property damage in the areas I saw. People were calm and trying to get normalcy back. Some signs of vandalism on a few cars left long, too long, but only isolated incidents, it seemed. I know Staten Island is crazy, and I'm looking to see how to help some prepper friends, also listeners who are there. Traffic was absent due to the lack of vehicles. People remained indoors. Streets were fairly quiet. As for me, I'll be making adjustments to some plans based on the experience of the last few days. Haven't fully completed the lessons learned, but we will be making changes, including crossing the bridge on foot. All the roads and bridges there are closed. Also noted which roads they did not close at the peak of this hurricane and will adjust our exit routes. Also, it was pretty cool walking that stretch of Manhattan for about three hours listening to podcasts I had missed. Kept thinking about new skills I would like to add for 2013. And while I went up that long stair climb, keep up the podcast, Jack. I know I'm missing send, I miss sending something in for episode 1000, but you sure have changed my life by giving me a better view on prepping and my family is benefiting from the better health, knowing uh, that we're living a better life. Carbon on the forum. Um, you know, good to hear stuff like that. And it, it teaches us some things, too. Like, why are these people trying to get to work? Uh, when everything's shut down, and why don't these companies have redundancies in place for their people that need to work when when these types of situations are going on? So from here, let's go ahead and take another look at some of the uh, 
the darker side of this, the stuff that's actually gone on, and, uh, and, and how bad it actually is in some areas. So what I'm going to play for you now is actually a news report, uh, and I'm going to let it speak for itself, so here you go. And it's rather a heartbreaking scene here. We came across as, as we were uh, driving in this neighborhood trying to get a true sense of the aftermath of Sandy. As you know, the Lower East Side and the East Village without power since Sandy hit. They're not expected to get their power back since Saturday at the least, at the earliest. And look how desperate it has gotten here in this neighborhood. We're here outside the Key Foods Avenue A and East 4th Street. And people are dumpster diving. And what they're going after here is the food that was inside these Key Foods. We Zoom, it all spoiled and was dumped out here for garbage. But instead, those here, some that I've spoken with, so hungry, they literally pried open this dumpster. You see that door open right now, and they are literally picking through for whatever they can take home with themselves. We have seen everybody here, from the elderly to families with children, literally up on top of this, looking for whatever it is that they could take home with themselves. To put this in perspective, again, this community without power since Monday, so many people here seeking shelter and seeking a way to feed themselves water. They're looking for any kind of food and water possible, and this is the extent that they're willing to go to, the extremes that they're willing to go to. Uh, we were down at a shelter here, a place that just opened up their door so people could come in and use a power line and a phone line to call friends and to call family. Hundreds of people have been filtering in there since they opened their doors yesterday. Just down the block, we saw a generator there running on fumes. The purpose of this generator, though, somebody pulled it out, put a power strip there, so people, we've seen this scene throughout the city, could power up their phones to make calls. But again, where we are right now, perhaps the most extreme example of what people are willing to do right now, just to bring food home with themselves. This entire area, the bodegas here, they are shut down. Uh, the restaurants clearly shut down. So many were flooded here, lost power here, uh, and this is what people are now doing. Uh, I mean, really, if you step back and you look at It, it puts it into perspective just how rough even the city is still right now uh, really dealing with the aftermath of all of this. Uh, people taking photos. Uh, they've been doing this. We've seen people pass by, take photos because this is uh, really uh, unbelievable. Those people taking photos, we should say, I've seen some then go in and get food for themselves before returning home. We're live here in the East Village. Jonathan Vigliotti, News 4 New York. You know, Okay, there, there's a lot going on there. But let's start out with the first thing we have to acknowledge. As bad as this is, I, I'm going to tell you right now that it is being somewhat sensationalized by the media because that's what the freaking media does. At least they didn't call a guy that set up a generator for people to charge their phone a freaking hero. But th this is definitely some level of being sensationalized. There's, there's no doubt about that, but it's also reality. Uh, you can watch the video for yourself. I'll put a link to it. You have to tolerate one of those stupid commercials that starts right away uh, when you load the page. You can't pause it. I hate people that do that to you. Um, but you can watch and you can see the people actually digging this food out of the dumpster. So that's we do have to acknowledge that the media sensationalizes things. Whenever we look at any of this, we have to view it through that lens so that we don't overreact to it. But we also have to look at the reality behind it. And the reality is that people are standing in a line. They're actually organized somewhat. They're not fighting each other for the garbage. They're standing in line waiting their turn to see what they can find. And like people are there digging and handing it out. Um, there's a lot to learn there. Number one, remember what I said earlier? 
Why the hell are these companies that have the food that's going to go bad throwing it at a dumpster instead of just putting it out to be taken and giving it away? What the hell is wrong with them? And I'm going to give you the answer. Your government's the problem. I know it's hard for some of you to hear that, but it is. You know what the problem is? It's food safety regulations. Can't do it. You can throw it in the dumpster, and the people can pull it out of the dumpster, but you couldn't put it out there and do the best you can to keep it as clean and safe as possible and say, hey, it's on you, take it if you want it. Can't do that. So these companies throw the food away, and then the people pull it out of the dumpster. There's another lesson for you of how the government makes bad situations worse many times. There's a place for safety. God, I accept that. I'm not a freaking anarchist, but come on. You got food in a cooler. You got no freaking power because your company's too stupid to have a backup generator and invest in that to protect your food inventory. And now the food's going to go bad instead of immediately... As soon as, as soon as you go, okay, power's not coming back, cooler's still somewhat cool, starting a relief effort and giving it away instead of letting it go bad, you wait till it completely goes bad, you throw it in the dumpster, people pull it out. Great. That's the society we're living in. Now, the other side of this. How unprepared do you have to be that you're willing to pull food out of the dumpster in two days? Not two years, not two weeks, not two months. No, two days. Two days into this, you're standing in line at a dumpster to get something to eat. The other side of that, I said there's a lot going on here that will be unsaid by the media. That food is only there until it's gone. There's no more going in the garbage. You can only harvest garbage as long as garbage is being created. And until the supply line comes back on, there is no garbage. When the supply line comes back on, for some people and not others... There's less garbage, even when there's more garbage, right? When the garbage returns, there's less of it. Less of it's getting thrown away. It ain't going to be like this. They're not cleaning out entire coolers and throwing it all in a dumpster. Do you need Do you need more incentive to prep? Do your friends that think you're crazy need another example of what can happen? These aren't street bums, right? These aren't people that do this every day. These are people, the normal working people that are so put out by what happened, it's the only choice they have. There are probably some people here with money. They have cash. There's no food to buy. Not today. Maybe tomorrow, but not today. The kid's hungry today. Right? And if you can go get chicken pasta primavera in a package that hasn't even been opened, that's supposedly spoiled, when you know it hasn't, you can smell it to tell it has, you're going to not eat it all? You're going to let your kid go hungry? Or are you going to feed him? These people made a choice to feed him. It's a tough choice to make. Do you want to have to make that choice someday? I don't. I refuse to. And I refuse to stand by if something like this happens in my area and not be able to help anybody else. And if I run a freaking extension cord with some power strips in it off my generator so people can charge their phone someday, it won't make me a hero either. Uh, let's look at something else. Um... There's an organization rapidly becoming my favorite charity to hate out there, the American Red Cross. And I pretty much decided I'm done supporting them with what happened in Haiti. What actually happens in New York with the Red Cross, we have yet to see. And I'll wait before I'll pass sentence. But I'll tell you the initial response. Let me read this to you. This is off Politicker. At a press conference this morning on Staten Island, a host of local officials, including Senators Chucky Schumer and Kristen Gillibard, gathered with to highlight the needs hard-hit borough in the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy. 
And although many polls spoke, no one was more impassioned than borough president James Molinaro, who called the Red Cross a, quote, absolute disgrace, end quote, and urged the public to cease giving them contributions. Quote, because of the devastation in Staten Island, a lack of response, end quote, Mr. Milano said to explain in his comment to NBC after the press conference, quote, you know I went to a shelter Monday night after the storm. People were coming in with no socks and no shoes. They were in desperate need. Their housing was destroyed. They were crying. Where was the Red Cross? Isn't that their function? They collect millions of dollars. Whenever there's a drive in Staten Island, we give openly and honestly. Where are they? Where are they? I was in the, at the South Shore yesterday. People were buried in their homes. They're, there the dogs are trying to find bodies. The people there, the neighbors who had no electricity were making soup. Making soup. It's very emotional because of the lack of a response. The lack of a response. They're supposed to be here. They should be on the front lines fighting and helping people. End quote. You can read the rest of the article if you want to. Now, there's two sides to this. I do think that we're witnessing a failure at multiple levels here. And what do I tell you that the greatest failure of leadership in this country is today? Not at the government level, not at the corporate level, at the individual level. And people with complete no-preparedness mindset whatsoever, with a hurricane that you knew was coming for a week, everybody going, hello, here it comes, it, it, ending up in this, this bad estate. Some people so directly hit... No, no, no choice. Some people so directly hit that were in areas where they were not told to evacuate. I mean, there's people that just need the help, right? We all acknowledge that. We're not putting them down. There's also people that are in a bad way because they were told, get out, get out, get out. This is not a suggestion. Mandatory evacuation order. Get your shit and get out. And you know what they did? I'm not leaving. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But if that's you, after we help Everybody that wasn't told to get out will get to you. I know that sounds harsh, but that's reality. That is reality. The other thing is, for groups like FEMA, the Red Cross, etc., to get in and provide relief, they have to come in and stage and then move in to do relief in a coordinated manner. They just can't throw up and start doing stuff everywhere. So, you know, when this came out last week, I'm like, we'll give them some time. I haven't heard anything to change it yet, though. I know that $350 million went into the hands of these thieves under the banner of the Red Cross for Haiti. And I know from relief workers on the ground who went and did it themselves, like Brandon Shelton from Bella Ministries, that they've been all over the island, all over Port-au-Prince, and haven't seen Jack Diddley squat done by the Red Cross. Ever! So I, I, I'm thinking if it repeats itself here, it's going to be a lot more damning because people are going to see it up close and personal. But maybe they'll get in. Maybe it's just logistics. Maybe it's they can't get to Staten Island yet. I don't know, though. With the amount of money that these assholes take in, it would seem to me... that. They, but you know what? You know what they were able to do really fast? Put an ad campaign together and advertise on Sunday afternoon football to contribute money to the Red Cross. They were able to get that done quick. So I don't know yet. My judgment is waiting. I will not pass judgment on this response until... They've had maybe another day or two. But then I want to know from these people that are waiting for their help, did it ever come? And if you work for the Red Cross, then you should be doing every damn thing you can to make sure that you guys do this right. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've put out information about this about Haiti. You lay down on your watch. 
you lay down on your watch, Red Cross, on this one, and I will do everything within the range of my microphone to make sure that nobody gives you a penny again because you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. If FEMA sucks and is incompetent, that's government. Sometimes they're going to get it right. Sometimes they're going to get it wrong. This is why I don't trust government. You are a private charity. People open up their wallets and their hearts, and they give to you constantly. This is what you're supposed to do. Do it. Do it now. Because if you don't, I promise you, and I, I hope somebody, you, I hope you guys know some Red Cross employees. Let them hear this. Send them this today. I promise you. I promise you my reach is further than you think it is. I promise you that we will find someone else to support, and I will dedicate part of my life to making sure you guys never get another penny if you, sl you sleep at the switch this time. I will. I absolutely freaking will. I'll make it one of my missions. And I'll tell you what, if I'm on your side, you want to be one of my missions. If I'm against you, you do not want to be one of my missions. It's a very bad thing to be on a negative side of a mission uh, of myself because I'll tell you what makes it the case. It's not me. It's the 50,000 people that come with me. It's the 50,000 person community that is a survival podcast. You guys step up, prove me wrong, and I'll state it. You guys continue to sleep. You continue to let these people down, and I'll make you pay for it. I've got two more uh, little pieces we're going to wrap up with today. One we'll wrap up with from a listener, everything he's learned about this and what's most important. And uh, before that, though, I want to talk another piece here on Politico. Uh, this is an article by Steve Fries. When President Barack Obama urged Americans under siege from Hurricane Sandy to stay inside and keep watch on Ready.gov for the latest, he left out something pretty important. Word to turn if the electricity goes out. Despite the heightened expectation of widespread power and cable television failures, everyone from the president to local newscasters seem to expect the public to rely entirely on the Internet for their, or, and their TVs for vital news and instructions. None of the major cable or local news channels put emergency phone numbers or key radio station frequencies on their screens. The only phone-related instructions on the homepage of Ready.gov is how to get a monthly disaster prep text message. The Federal Emergency Management Agency told via uh, Twitter to use text and social media outlets to stay informed. TV and radio are still the primary methods of getting information about Hurricane Sandy to the public, but social media are increasingly important to those efforts, FEMA Chief Craig Fugate said on Monday. With, quote, with these types of storms, you get a lot that is going to be carried out through the traditional TV and radio media, Fugate told reporters of a conference call. Quote, but we're using a lot more social media. We're using everything from Facebook to Twitter. I think there's a higher degree of awareness that people have of the storm is coming and what the impacts are going to be, end quote. Fugate also talked up battery operator hand crank radios during these interviews on the morning news show. A call to FEMA's news desk, however, found that even they didn't have a non-internet information readily available beyond suggestions that people call 911 in emergency. When asked where folks should turn for information if they had no power, a FEMA worker said, well, those people who have a laptop with a little battery life on it can try that. Otherwise, you're right. I, you know... This is, this is the people looking out for you. This is the millions and millions and millions and millions of tax dollars that go into this organization that's supposed to help people, and their suggestion is when your power's out, go to ready.gov. And when you go there, the, the, the update you get is sign up here for a free text message that'll tell you what's going on. How about this? 
How about if one of the first things FEMA did was move into the area and start broadcasting on an unused radio frequency uh, to give real-time updates of what's going on and what people can expect, just so people know they're being communicated with? Do you know what people are, when they're less likely to riot, when they're less likely to get pissed off, when their president of their, their borough is less likely to come out and say, don't give these assholes money, when at least they know you're paying attention to them? You, you care. That help is coming, and when they can expect it, and what they can do in the meantime, where the best hope is. See, this is like when you go to a restaurant. You ever go to a restaurant, and the host says, your server, Sandy, will be, and I'm using Sandy because it's her, her case name, Sandy will be with you shortly and sets you at the table, right? Now, if the restaurant's really, really busy, and Sandy runs over and goes, can I take your drink order and, and get your drink order? Says, we're, we're running a little behind. Please be with me. You know, be easy with me here, but here's your drinks, at least, so you can get started on that. Look at your menu, and we'll do the best we can. Even if you have to wait an extraordinarily long time for your food, do you, do you generally go, they did the best they could, they're really busy, maybe they're understaffed, and you understand it. But if you sit at your table for 20 or 30 minutes and no one acknowledges that you exist, and you like flag somebody down and say, could you get, and they, nobody comes, and then nobody even apologizes, most of the time you get up and walk out. Well, that, in a lot of situations, when these people are down and out, and all they have is maybe the radio, and all they're listening to is the media spin, FEMA, okay? All they're listening to is the media spin about how bad you suck, and they don't hear anything from you. Guess what? Guess what? They get tired of waiting, and they figure nobody's coming. And in some ways, that can be good, and in some ways, New Orleans, that can be really, really bad. See, people riot and steal and do all and burn shit, right? And they go nuts when they figure there's no hope. And they only need about 72 hours of no hope before they really start to go off. We're actually lucky things have stayed so well together in the Northeast. There's been some rioting, there's been some, some civil unrest and stuff like that, but it's been nowhere near what it could have been. And this kind of stuff doesn't help. It also, back to personal responsibility, sorry for bumping the microphone there, guys. Back to personal responsibility, though, it does show you the importance of being able to at least keep your cell phones, your laptops, any Internet access devices charged up. But the other side of it is you can't depend on them because if the nearest cellular tower was blown over in a storm, you ain't got no signal. And this is a you know, newsflash. When the only means of communication is, is cellular, mobile technology, everybody uses it. And we know what happens then. And I can tell you, some of the networks in the Manhattan borough area, from these cellular providers, with insider knowledge, from consultants, I can tell you that they are on the edge of holding together. Uh, it's, it's a metaphor, but I've heard more than one text say these networks are held together with duct tape. Not because it's bad equipment, not because it's old equipment, because the, there's a, the, the growth in those markets is so excessive and so fast. The speeds of the phone, the apps, all of it's so fast, they can barely keep up the backbone of the network with the demand. So if you increase it by 10% in a peak during an outage, that network becomes a lot less reliable. But we need to take a part, you know, if it's available, we should be able to use it. We should be able to keep an iPhone charged. You're not being asked for too much personal responsibility to be able to keep your iPhone charged. You should be able to wait to figure that out, at least three or four days worth of it. Some backup battery packs or something. You know, so you don't have to rely on the hero, you know, supposedly, that threw out the, the, the extension cord and the power strip. Yeah, we should be able to pull that off. Let's finish up with some more um, direct feedback from a listener. Uh, this is from Grizzly Adams. 
Grizzly Adams, first I just want to say thank you for all that you do. Your podcast and teachings are helping me right now as my wife and I go through Hurricane Sandy aftermath. Our electric companies and many radio stations are declaring the worst disaster ever to hit New Jersey. Thought you might be interested in the following observations. The biggest issue right now is finding gas stations that are working and have gas. If you do find one, the lines are three, two to three hours long. Most businesses do not have any power. The few that have generators or that are open are taking cash and the lines are long as well. Three, the gas lines are nasty. I just got out of one. People honking at each other, cutting in line, and right in front of me, a guy drove up, cut in front of everyone, filled up a gas can, drove off without paying. And that, you know what? That's a catalyst to, to rioting. People go ape shit when stuff like that happens. Uh, the items that cannot be found right now are D and C batteries, LED lanterns, ice, gas cans, gas generators, tarps. Someone was offering a 5,000-watt gas generator for $1,700 yesterday to give you an idea of the demand that they're in. Okay, listen to this, though, right? DNC batteries, right? LED lanterns, ice, gas cans, gasoline, generators, tarps. Anything there that you don't think we've covered in perpetuity on this show is a basic prep. Anything there. Anything there that you don't think we've covered, let me know. You see people riding bikes and walking the stores to save gas. It's too difficult to get. Many people have apparently bought gas generators after two hurricanes we had in 2011. People are running generators 24-7. Can't imagine why they would be doing that with gas scarcity. So the people with generators are just running the generator nonstop. Now think about this. New York City right now, New Jersey, you know, it's not real hot up there. Right, you know, backup heat with some propane or stuff. Most of the houses up there, uh, older homes especially, are heated with gas or fuel oil. Don't necessarily need to run that generator to, to heat the house. Certainly, some ways you could do that. And why is the why is the generator running 24/7? What are these people going to do when they run out of gas? And you know, most of them have 10 gallons of gas that they got after standing in a line for three or four hours. And it, tomorrow, when they're out of gas, we'll have to go stand in those lines again. Some things to think about. Um, have heard rumors of looting on the radio, but nothing confirmed. Below are some things I learned from your various shows that are helping out. Also gave this information to family, friends, and coworkers, and anyone who will listen. One, internet is the best way to get up-to-date info. Cable is out. I am using Verizon wireless phone, hotspot, and laptop to get information. I am subscribed to various New, Jer New Jersey emergency organizations via Twitter and Facebook, and getting constant updates right to my cell phone. So, see, the information is there. The piece is the link to be able to get the information. So FEMA telling you to use the Internet is not necessarily that bad of an idea. It's just they don't have a redundancy of why don't we, why don't we uh, pirate a radio uh, frequency and let's get some info out to the people that can't get access right now because they can't recharge their cell phone because it was in their house. It's currently in the East Friggin' River, FEMA. Okay? All right? But it doesn't mean that it's not good advice in general. Two, I am using deep cycle marine batteries to power lamps, laptops, and phones. I use my generator only to take showers. I have a well and recharge the batteries. And then as Stephen Harrison, you would say, we go silent and we go and go deep at night. The generator is only running during the day for one hour at last year. People in New Jersey were stealing each other's generators. Uh, I am using a power company outage maps to find out areas that have the least damage and identify them as places to most likely have gas. So there's the application of the information. Not the information they're tweeting you and whatever from the FEMA base camp, but going to the power companies and saying, show me the places with power. Find a great big blob where there's electricity everywhere 
and go there to get your supplies if you need anything. That's probably a good idea. It's really important to have coffee and creamer. There are long lines at any coffee shop in the morning for coffee. Hey, you know what, guys that have lots of coffee and creamer? You could probably do a brisk business uh, with a little coffee stand, but you'd be better off giving it away right now. I think that would be a good way for some of you guys to share preparedness if you're still in this mess uh, where things are out and all, but you're okay. Man, make up four or five big old pots of coffee. Go out front, open a couple cans of evaporated milk for creamer, and just start giving it out. Uh, five, we are using our Jetboil hiking stove with Mountain House packages, pouches for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and dessert. Awesome. Hey, you know what? Watch the video I'll have out for you guys by tomorrow on cooking with the, the, uh, the power pot. I'm making shrimp, corn, and potato chowder all from preps. So uh, it doesn't always have to be Mountain House. We are using the water bob in our bathtub to wash our faces, wash hands, brush teeth. The water from the siphon goes into a bucket that we use to flush the toilets. We have a well and septic. Not sure if you read all of this, uh, but thought you would like some feedback on what is happening in real time out here in New Jersey and how your teachings have changed our lives and helping us get through this. Again, thanks for all you do. You have truly made the experience easier for my family. Best regards, Mike, a.k.a. Grizzly Adams on the forum. All right, man. See, now that's that's the way things are supposed to be. And, and this isn't a family like saying, nah, 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 nah. We, we, we've got ourselves you know, taken care of and everybody else sucks. This is just saying, look, this is what we did and it's working. And this is what's happening to people that didn't do it. And now we're trying to tell anybody else this is what to do. But it's the basics. Backup power, backup water, backup food. And anything other than being you know, directly punched in the face with something like this, you get through it and you get through it pretty dang good. This this is a good show for you to sh when you talk to people they're going oh that's Sandy that's terrible they want the truth they want the reality they want to know what really happens what happens to people who are just moderately prepared versus people completely unprepared share the show with them share the show with them and if you work for the Red Cross don't forget what I said get your shit together because in spite of the fact that I think everybody should be prepared, not everybody is. And in spite of the fact that I think everybody should be prepared, even people that are really prepared can be hit so hard, so directly, that their preps don't work out for them. And that's not a reason not to prepare. That's an even bigger reason to prepare. So that that person that tried to do the right thing can be one of the first that you can help because you can stand when others are down. That's what this is about. Can you stand? Can you stand? You can't help others up if you're down on the ground with them. And the way you stand is you be prepared to provide for yourself. For God's sakes, folks, for a week. Can you imagine how much better this would be if the average American just had the mindset of, I will be able to provide my own food, water, energy, shelter, and security, and sanitation for one week. Not three freaking days, FEMA. One week, seven full days. The majority of the acute situation will be at least partially rectified in seven days. We're, we're right about there now. There will be places where that's not the case. But you know what? If the people that lived in those areas could have made it through that seven-day period without lining up to get into a dumpster, without beating the shit out of each other over a couple gallons of gasoline, 
and that area could be brought back to its feet, the majority of the relief effort could go to places like Staten Island and the low-lying parts of it where the people are the hardest hit because the, re the rescuers and the relief workers wouldn't have to spend as much of their resources helping people that could have done for themselves and didn't and can actually do what they should be doing, which is serve the people who, no matter what they did, would be in the situation they're in now. And maybe those people that were prepared could have been prepared to do more to help out their neighbors just across the bridge or just across the river if they had been prepared. This is why we prepare. Right here, right now, on your TV, on the Internet, on Facebook, pictures, emails, letters from friends about what's going on. This is why we do this. Don't think, no matter where you are, don't think can't happen here. It's arrogant, and it's a fool's message to himself to wrap himself in a cocoon of, I'll be okay. No matter where you live, there's something that can happen as devastating or worse to your area. There's always something. Hopefully, it'll never happen. Or hopefully, if it does, you're not in the center of the storm, so to speak, no matter what it is. Whether it's earthquake, whether it's man-made, no matter what it is, hopefully you're on the periphery. If you're on the periphery and you're prepared, you can be part of the solution. You can stand. You can be a sentinel. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. There's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess And we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way
shirt. 